Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. See, one of the key truths from the book of the Galatians is that God wants us to understand and believe how free we are in Jesus. Free from a life where we try to earn His favor through our own efforts and how well we try and keep His law. But at the same time, the freedom Paul is talking about is not the freedom to do whatever we feel like. Paul is taking great effort to show us that God does not want us to live overindulgent, self-satisfying, self-absorbed lives where we ignore the clear boundaries He has given us in His inspired Word and just seek to find pleasure in whatever we feel like. And that is because the child of God is someone that has been fundamentally united to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And as a result, His Spirit now resides in us to help us fight against the sinful desires of the flesh. Because here's the reality for everyone in this room. There is not one day that goes by where you do not have to deny yourself and your own sinful fleshy desires then pick up your cross to live under the Lordship of Jesus in order to obey God and to live a life that is pleasing to Him. A life where Jesus is living in you and through you. Because what we have learned so far about sanctification from Galatians and becoming more like Jesus is that there is this constant war going on inside of us. And let's be honest. 
it can kind of drive us crazy. Because we want to live according to our new nature and who we are in Jesus, but we find ourselves confronted with these thoughts and, and feelings and eventually actions that make us feel like hypocrites. Because this is a war where you are confronted with the urge to satisfy your immediate desires. And without relying on God, these desires will seek to enslave you and control your life. Because if we are not walking by the Spirit, we will fail. In other words, there is not a day that goes by where you do not have to practice self-control. There is not a day that goes by in your life where you do not have to practice self-control. We have come to the final fruit of the Spirit. In Paul's list of what a child of God looks like who is empowered and indwelt by the Spirit of God and in contrast to a world of religious legalism and selfish overindulgence. I think we will all agree that the context in which we are living today is telling us loudly, get what you want and get it now. Do what you want because you deserve to be happy. And if it feels right, it must be right. And the Bible says we are fighting this kind of war against all these lies and these sinful feelings on three different fronts. The world the flesh and the devil. And it's not just the daily fight, but what we see in Scripture is that it's a war that we fight in every season of life. See, when Paul was seeing what's going on with the people on the, this pagan island of Crete, this out-of-control society, much like ours today, where everyone did whatever they wanted to do, he instructs Timothy to teach what accords with sound doctrine. In other words, he says, Timothy, you are going to bring order by teaching people the truth from God's Word. And the fundamental truth is that they need to be self-controlled. I mean, consider Titus chapter 2 for just a moment. I'm going to read from verse 1. Paul writes to Timothy and says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then in verse 2, he gets more specific. He says, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and steadfastness. Which is like saying, to bring order in this out-of-control community, the church is to be a place where older men are self-controlled and steady, and godly examples of what it looks like to have your passions under the control of Jesus. But then he moves to older women. Verse 3, Older women likewise ought to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine, which means they are not to be gossips and overindulging and drinking, but they too are to be self-controlled. They are to teach what is good and to invest in the lives of younger women. And again, he gives the specifics. Verse 4, and so to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be revived. So all the women, be self-controlled, 
teach younger women to be self-controlled as well. And then in verse 6, he talks about who? Younger men. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Which, if you look at what Paul is saying, is that no matter what stage of life you're in right now, God wants His people to be self-controlled. In other words, one of the key differences between a believer and an unbeliever is the Spirit-enabling ability to deny yourself for the glory of God. That is why Peter also recognized the war that we are in when he said in 1 Peter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war which wage war against your soul. Because that's the reality, right? All of us have these sinful desires who want to take over. But what are you going to do about these desires? Godliness and growing in the faith is learning how to control these evil passions and desires which wage war against your soul. Because Peter goes on to explain why this is so important. First Peter 4 Verse 7. He says, The end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded. In other words, Jesus is coming back soon. And what should Christians be like when considering His return? Self-controlled and sober-minded. In all this chaos that we are living in, the Christian needs to be thinking carefully and clearly about what is true while growing in self-control through the power of the Holy Spirit. Author Jerry Bridges gives us a helpful definition of self-control when he says the following. Self-control is the exercise of inner strength under the direction of sound judgment that enables us to think, say, and do things that are pleasing to God. The exercise of inner strength under the direction of sound judgment that enables us to think, say, and do things that are pleasing to God. Because isn't that our goal? The Christian is someone that does not live for themselves but for the glory of God. Because self-control is believing that denying myself now is better because I already have someone greater. It's believing that denying myself now is better because I already have someone greater. Now if we're going to grow in the fruit of self-control, then we need to look at our lives and consider what we know about ourselves and what we truly believe. And that is why each of us should ask ourselves the following three questions today. Three questions. Number one, where do I lack self-control? Where do I lack self-control? God knows that even His children were, are tempted to overindulge in certain areas. But do you know what those areas are? Because what exactly needs to be controlled here? Self. Right? What do you need to deny? Self. 
And that is because the sin that wants to take over our lives comes from inside of us. In other words, it's a heart problem and a worship problem. It's a heart problem and a worship problem. I was recently talking to a friend and who told me that he has been noticing how some of the supplies from his warehouse have been disappearing. And no one from the outside public has access to their premises. Which means what? It's an inside job, right? James 1.14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Which is why we need to examine our hearts and see what is it that we love so much that causes us to lose self-control. Because the person who has been made new in Jesus needs to consistently think and act according to their new nature in Jesus. And so it's going to be helpful for us if we know where we are struggling with self-control. But let me just mention a few areas that the Bible talks about. One area has to do with your body. Your body. Romans 12 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God wants to us to use our bodies for His glory. And there's this physical and spiritual connectedness that Paul is talking about you. Because what is going on with us spiritually will reflect on what we do physically. And one obvious area is that of sensual passions. Sensual passions. One challenge of our day is that we get so desensitized by all the sexually immoral behavior around us that the stuff we see doesn't shock us anymore. It's like we watch movies or shows where people are almost wearing no clothes or the whole premise of the movie is about how these feelings and desires you have for someone else's spouse and how acting on those feelings and and watching that stuff is the right thing to do. And you think watching that stuff will not affect you. As one man says, the less shocked or offended we are by the sexual perverseness around us, the harder it is for us to be self-controlled. In other words, when I know there's already all this junk going on in my heart, and I keep feeding it with more and more junk, then guess what? Then I should not be surprised that I'm going to struggle to be self-controlled in the area of sensual pleasures. See, falling into sexual sin doesn't happen accidentally. That person has been making one compromise after the other, filling their mind with impurity day after day because they love that sin. They know it's wrong, but they keep feeding it instead of fleeing from it. I mean, who's the classic example in the Bible? It's Joseph, right? Joseph didn't entertain the idea of what it would be like to be in this intimate relationship with Potiphar's wife, did he? I mean, he could have. He was in the significant leadership role. He had all this potential alone time with her. She was trying to persuade him and woo him and confuse him. 
But what did he do instead? He ran for the hills. He ran away for the glory of God. Paul gave the same instruction to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 6.18 Paul says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Which is helpful for us to realize again, right? That our bodies do not belong to us. They belong to Jesus. Which means our tongues also belong to Jesus. Our tongues. Because how many of us struggle with self-control regarding what comes out of our mouths? James again says, James 1.26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. It means nothing. If you lack self-control with your tongue and you say stuff that don't build others up or you have these outbursts of anger where your tongue is just slashing everyone in front of you, then you're busy deceiving yourself and your religion is worthless. I mean, you can do all these things for Jesus, but if you cannot control your tongue, then it doesn't matter what other stuff you do, right? Isn't that what God told Cain back in the beginning in Genesis 4-7? That he should not open the door to his sinful desires because he knows it's a heart issue. Reading from Genesis 4-6, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. See, this is a moment. God wants Cain to admit what is going on in his heart. And so he asks Cain what's going on and gives him a chance to repent. I mean, he has a choice. Either he surrenders his anger and turns from his wrong attitude, or he can allow his anger to get the better of of himself. And the problem is because sin was crouching at the door, ready to pounce like a wild animal, and Cain did not shut the door to rule over it, it ruled over him, which then led to his sinful desires and anger taking over his life, and as a result, what happened? Taking his brother's life. And it all has to do with what we love in our hearts because we know that Jesus said what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person Matthew 15 do you lack self control with the tongue does it show in how you speak and how you act and when you don't get when you what you want I mean what about eating and drinking that's part of the body right someone that is a glutton or a drunkard is someone that lacks self-control and is being mastered by what goes into their mouths. 
It's saying yes to your cravings to the point where you allow those cravings to control you instead of you controlling your cravings. I mean, it's always amazed me how my body wants more junk food the more I eat junk food, right? I can see I'm not alone. And we often wonder, why does this unhealthy stuff taste so good? And we can list many more areas where we need to evaluate whether we lack self-control. How about how you spend your money? How do you spend your money? What about how you spend your time? Are you able to put your phone down or have you become addicted to social media? How about sleep? Do you lack self-control with how much you sleep? Proverbs 13, 4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. See, if we're going to grow in self-control, then we need to know in what areas do we lack self-control. And what areas of our lives are we allowing our sinful desires to rule us? Because we should not fool ourselves. Which now brings us to our second question. What lie am I believing? What lie am I believing? See, a big part of the problem when it comes to a lack of self-control is that we convince ourselves that it's okay to give in to our sinful desires. I mean, it's like someone, simple illustration, that eats candy bars every day. And you're like, I don't think that stuff is very healthy. And they're like, well, it's got protein in it, so it's okay. Or someone that keeps buying stuff, but they tell you it was on special. And they think they are saving money, but they don't even have the money in the first place to buy it, even if it was on special. We can even talk ourselves into thinking that we deserve something. Like when you've worked hard. You've had a pretty busy and hard week at work, and so now you convince yourself, I deserve to relax and let go. And so if uh, it's okay for me to indulge and overspend money on myself. Maybe it's through eating excessively and drinking excessively. Because the lie is, if it's not that big of a deal, I deserve it. What about when someone is living with someone that is tough? You're in this tough relationship, so you think, you know what? I deserve a break. I deserve to be treated well. So it's okay if I go and spoil myself and spend money on my credit card to make myself feel better. You see, when our feelings become our God, then the truth goes out the window. God can clearly say in His Word what kind of relationship you should be in, but if you are being led by your feelings, then that truth becomes irrelevant. Because you will hear people say stuff like, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. Or I just, it just felt right. I can't just deny myself anymore. Which is a lie. Which is a lie. Because if you are a believer who has been, who was saved by Jesus, who has the same power in you that raised Jesus from the dead, then you are believing a lie and not the truth. And the thing is, you know what 
you know that you need to exercise self-control because your conscience is telling you you need it. Because self-control is this inherent part of our conscience. I think of Paul and, and Felix in Acts 24, 24. It says, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's talking about Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away from the present. See, Paul is talking about faith in Jesus, but then he's talking about some specific things here. He's talking about righteousness, about self-control and the coming judgment. And Felix knew that he was not a self-controlled man. He was busy living with sin. And so when he hears Paul talking about all this stuff, he becomes afraid. Because his conscience was bearing witness that a lack of self-control was a problem. Being mastered by your own sinful desires is a problem. And the same is true for us. Our conscience also bears witness that our lack of self-control is a problem. I mean, you might have these feelings that seem so strong, but you must identify what lies are you believing that is convincing you that you should not or could not deny that feeling. Because perhaps the way you try and deal with your fleshly desires reveal what you believe about how to have self-control. Because you know there's a difference between self-control and godly self-control. See, the first try tries to tell you, just say no. Just say no. I mean, I'm sure we've all heard that, right? Maybe even, to, even saying it to ourselves, just say no. But that's trying to control self with self. But guess what? It doesn't work. Because there, there are usually two kinds of results. The one is that you are back at being a legalist. Because you think, because I don't smoke like that guy does, I'm doing pretty well with self-control. And you become proud of yourself, and you have these self-righteous ideas, thinking you are doing better than other people. And so you overlook the other areas in your life where you lack self-control. Or if you are going to rely on yourself to master self, then you might even end up in despair. Despairing, relying on your own willpower to have victory over these fleshly sinful desires. And the lie is, I must just do better. I must just do better. But the problem is, your own willpower will not be more powerful enough. Your own willpower is not enough. Because the more you try to rely on yourself to fight against your fleshly desires, the more discouraging it becomes. Which causes people to end up in despair. That is why when Paul wrote to the church in Rome, after talking about giving your body as a, a living sacrifice to God, and how that is part of your, your spiritual worship to Him, he says in the next verse, Romans 12 verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind. By, 
testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect because God knows that we will struggle with self-control and that is why he says we need to renew our minds so that we can discern the lies from the truth that we can discern and know what is real and we renew our minds and we go to the truth and submit to the truth rather than our feelings or cravings. Which brings us now to our final question. What truth do I believe sets me free from myself? What truth are you you holding on to? Because what we believe impacts what we do in those moments when we need self-control. When we recognize that we lack self-control, that our consciences bears witness that we are doing is wrong, then instead of relying on our own willpower to overcome these sinful fleshly desires, we need to turn to God and give ourselves to Him that He can work through us. Because the the fight for self-control is a fight for faith. It comes down to what you believe. And what we have learned from our study of the fruit of the Spirit is that we serve a God who is perfectly consistent in who He is. Everything He does is good. Everything He does is holy. Everything He does is loving. Which means He is a God that is perfectly in control of what He thinks and does. And this perfect God decided to send His Son And in the incarnation, we find one person with two natures. Talk about the need for self-control. Jesus being fully God and fully man. And you see the self-control of Jesus when the God-man restrains all human desire until, until they are fulfilled in the perfect timing of His Father. Which means Jesus being fully God was able to exercise self-control perfectly until he accomplished what he was sent to accomplish. I mean, we know even as he was being tempted in the wilderness, after not eating for such a long time, he exercises perfect self-control. But the thing is, he exercised perfect self-control for you. He did that for you. He yielded his fleshly desires to the divine purpose of God. Even when Jesus was throwing over tables in the temple courtyard, He was exercising perfect, controlled, righteous anger. And Jesus did all of that so that He could not do His own will, but that of His Father, which was God showing us His perfect control by crucifying His Son for those who are out of control. Because that's the irony of this all. That the people became so angry at Jesus that their lack of self-control nailed Him to a cross. But this was God the Father accomplishing His redemptive purposes so that people like you and me who struggle with self-control every single day can stop living for ourselves. Stop believing the lies of our own flesh 
the world, the devil. And through faith and trust in Jesus, we receive true freedom from ourselves. That's why Peter explains again in 2 Peter, that because of His divine power, God has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Listen to this. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that what? So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. See, through faith in Jesus, you receive a new nature. He goes on, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And how to respond to this new amazing reality, this new freedom, this new nature. Verse 5, for this very reason, Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. Because Peter's like, put in the divine effort now that you are one with Jesus. And know that, verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which means as we pursue more of Jesus, then we recognize that denying myself now is better because I have someone greater. Someone that energizes me and empowers me, that forgives me, that is gentle with me, that is faithful towards me. Enabling me to deny myself for the glory of God. Or as Paul says in Colossians 1.29, For this I toil, struggling with all His energy, that He powerfully works within me. And so it cannot be your own willpower. It's not going to cut it. It has to be the power of God that allows me to know what is true, that Jesus loves me, He gave His life for me, so that I can have the discipline and self-control to deny myself for the glory of God. You see, Paul puts it back in athletic terms when talking to the Corinthians. We know this passage well. 1 Corinthians 9.24 Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only the ones receive the prize. Only one receives the prize. So run! that you may obtain it. Run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a, a perishable wreath, but we, but we an, an imperishable wreath. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul knows the struggle. He understands the struggle. And he's like, if you're going to finish the race of the Christian life, you need purpose. You need purpose. You need to know what you're running for, what you're aiming for. 
and you need discipline and self-control. Because perseverance requires a determination and self-sacrifice for the sake of the prize. For the sake of the prize. I recently heard that the famous Olympic swimmer Phelps was determined not to climb stairs during his swimming career. Can you imagine not climbing any stairs? See, when he gets to a building without an escalator, he would not go in. He would rather just leave. And the reason was he didn't want to exercise the muscle in his ankle or his Achilles because he didn't want it to become, he wanted it to be as flexible as possible in swimming. Now, can you imagine what kind of discipline that would take to avoid something as ordinary and as frequent as climbing stairs in order to be the best in the world? To get the prize of those Olympic medals. But the difference for us as believers are, we not only have Jesus that empowers us, but because we have Jesus, we want Him more. We want more of Him. He is our prize. He is our treasure. He is the one we are denying ourselves for. He is the one we are self-sacrificing for. Because as believers, we care more about the glory of God than we do about our own. And so we make the needed sacrifices to be able to grow in self-control. We get rid of the junk that wants to control our lives. And we come and sit at the foot of the cross, being reminded daily of the truth and filtering out all the lies. We pursue the mind of Christ to think about what is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. And we recognize that because we are free in Christ, that all things are lawful for me, as Paul says, but not all things are profitable. Yes, you have freedom. A lot of things are not profitable. In other words, even though Christ gives us the freedom to enjoy the pleasures of the world, we will not be mastered by them. Because if it's not profitable, and if it's not going to make me more like Jesus, then why do I want to do it? Because to be able to master yourself, you need Jesus to be your master. You need Jesus to be your master. The beginning of self-mastery is being mastered by Jesus. So perhaps as you evaluate your life and you recognize where you lack self-control, perhaps it's because you have not bowed your knee to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you're trying to fool yourself into thinking that you can't help it. is my prayer that God would press upon your soul today that Jesus lived a perfectly controlled life for you so that He can help you. Take all your sinful desires to Him and find true satisfaction in Him. See, where the deeds of the flesh seek to destroy the life of the church, the fruit of the Spirit does the opposite. It builds up the church. 
Believers who love one another, who find joy in the hardest of times, who seek peace and are patient with each other, who are kind and who seek to overcome evil with good, who are gentle and truthful and now self-controlled people, show what they are living for. But more importantly, who they are living for. May God help us to grow together to be self-controlled or rather God-controlled people in all the areas of our lives as we submit to the truth of His Word. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank You so much for this amazing reality that even people who are lacking self-control that we can grow in this fruit. Father, You have spoken. You have given us the clear boundaries in Your Word. Our consciences tell us what is wrong. We know, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that all of us here, we will bring that to You, Jesus. Jesus, You're the one who perfectly submitted Yourself to the will of the Father. Who perfectly did what needed to be done so that people like us could be become your children. These out-of-control people could become people who live self-controlled and godly lives. And so we see from your word again today, Lord, this is for every season of life. We never graduate the school of self-control. So Father, help us grow. Help us mature. Help us to be the kind of people that are willing to deny ourselves in the moment. Because we recognize we have something greater in Jesus. And we pray this in His name. Amen.